Now on Sunday Extra to the successful Yes campaign in the referendum of 1967. The 1967 referendum on Indigenous issues had the highest Yes vote ever recorded in a federal referendum with 90.77% voting Yes. Bain Atwood is Professor of History at Monash University and the co-author of the 1967 referendum, Race, Power and the Australian Constitution. And perhaps more ominously to those hoping for a yes vote in the 2023 referendum, Bain has just written an essay for the Australian Book Review called A Referendum in Trouble, Race, Rights and History Talk in 1967 and 2023. Professor Bain Atwood, welcome to Sunday Extra. Thanks very much, Julian. Bain, your essay draws out um, some key differences, as you see it, between the 1967 referendum and this referendum for The Voice. Let's start with the basics. What was the question in the 1967 referendum? Indeed, what were the questions? And, and how does that compare to the proposition in 2023? There was just just the one question, even though there were two parts of the constitution um, being voted on. And as is the practice in Australian constitutions, the question was worded very vaguely. It asked voters whether they wanted to agree or disagree with some wording being changed in the Australian constitution. Um, and I think in this case in 2023, the wording is is, is similarly vague, even though obviously there are some particular propositions uh, involved in in the referendum. Uh, you, you start the essay noting that the 1967 referendum was supported by all the major parties, but you say you don't think that's the most important factor explaining the difference in support levels between that 90% support in 1967 and, and now uh, a nation which seems to be divided around 50-50 you know, at best. Why don't you think just major, major party support was... Uh, is a key factor in explaining that. Well, I think it's, I think it's one of the, the, the factors, but I think most of the commentary we have at the moment is very much focused on contemporary factors rather than thinking about historical factors. I think it is the case that in order for a referendum to be successful, it does need to have bipartisan support, and clearly this one doesn't have that. But I think the more important factors are the historical ones and the way in which what we could call the discourse or the talk about race and rights in history is now very different. Back in 1967, the ideal was that you would overcome or transcend race in the terms of thinking about racial, racial differences. The idea was that everybody would be treated the same, that Aboriginal people would be treated the same as white Australians, that they would gain the same rights as, as white Australians. But we haven't talked about race in those terms for many decades now. I mean, back in 1967, Difference. Thinking about race in terms of difference was seen to be the problem. These days, I think we're much more comfortable, for the most part, in talking about difference. Indeed, difference is something that is um, privileged, that is treasured, which is regarded as fundamental, that it's important to recognise the ways in which people are different from one another. That's become the dominant discourse, is the dominant discourse now, has been for, for, for many years. Uh, whereas back in 1967, the focus, as I've said, was on um, Aboriginal people winning the same rights as white Australians, being treated equal in that sense. What's at stake here is really Indigenous rights. In other words, the rights that only Indigenous people um, can, lay, can lay claim to. And so that's, that's, that's the talk about race, the talk about rights is now very different to what it was in 1967. 
And what are the factors that you think explain those differences in the way we talk about race and rights? And I was interested also in the way your essay talks about uh, the declining role of class as a factor in discussion of Australian national politics. Yes, well, in terms of why we talk about rights in a different way now, clearly major international forces play an important role here. I would say that decolonisation, the role that decolonisation has played has been has been very important in that regard. Uh, the rise of multiculturalism, um, in terms of settler societies like Australia, the way in which the composition of this country has changed a great deal um, since the Second World War and certainly since the referendum of, of 1967, is that this is just part of international developments and in, in the way we, we, we talk we talk about race. And similarly, uh, as, as far as class goes, one might say, crudely speaking, since the fall of the Berlin Wall in the late 1980s, class has been much less important in the way that politics is conducted, the way in which people think of themselves. I mean, once upon a time, the language of class, as I would call it, was fundamental to Australian politics. Um, major political parties identified themselves and could readily be identified by voters in terms of, of, of who supported them, their social and economic policies. But I think since the late 1980s, with the rise of what we could generally call neoliberalism, the differences between the major political parties in terms of economic and social policies has diminished. And I think that means that they have, since the early 1990s, been looking for other ways to distinguish themselves from one another. And they've been drawn to both talk about the past, in other words, history and culture to try and do that. So what we've had increasingly since the early 1990s is what we can call culture and history wars, where the major political parties attempt to stake out different positions for themselves according to how they align themselves in terms of culture and history, mm. and I think race as well. On Sunday Extra, we're speaking with Professor Bain Atwood, who's just written an essay for the Australian Book Review called A Referendum in Trouble, Race, Rights and History Talk in 1967 and 2023. Bain, uh, you focus on how the 1967 campaign was sort of cast as an appeal to the better selves of the mainly white Australian population. Uh, could you give us a little bit more sort of... Um, explanation of how you saw that campaign playing out and how you see that different from the way the voice referendum discussion is happening in 2023? In the 1967 campaign, there was very much an appeal not only to the voters' heads but also to their hearts in terms of saying vote yes for Aboriginal rights by what they, which they meant vote yes for equal rights. And they were saying if you vote yes in this campaign, you will... Um, advance the program of assimilation. You will enable Aboriginal people to gain the same rights as we have to, to become like us. And so I think there was, it wasn't, it, it didn't challenge, it didn't unsettle voters in the same way as the way in which the question now in 2023 seems to unsettle many voters. It was like the voters could say, well, we can feel proud of voting yes, because here we are, we're, we're giving Aboriginal people a leg up, we're, we're, giving, we're giving them a fair go. And I think that, that meant they didn't need to feel embarrassed or, or ashamed about Australia's very black history. Whereas in 2023, because it's Indigenous rights that is the focus and recognising Aboriginal people as Australia's first peoples, 
Indigenous rights are based on history because they're based on the fact that Aboriginal people are this country's first peoples. And so it's a very different kind of rights talk. Um, it's much more difficult, I think, to appeal to the hearts of many people, and particularly those who've, who've suffered in the last 30 or 40 years as a result of the social and economic policies that all the major parties have pursued. They feel, I think, that they are the ones that are also suffering in what's happening, and here they are, they probably feel, being called upon to recognise the loss and suffering of Aboriginal people, whereas they too feel that they have suffered in the last 30 or 40 years. And that makes them, I think, very reluctant to embrace the yes vote mm. in this referendum, whereas, as I said, in 1967, they found it much more easy to do that. It was interesting to read about the dominant role played in the 1967 campaign by an organisation called Fakatsi. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about Fakatsi and, and whether you see its role as differing significantly from the process that led to the Uluru Statement from the Heart? So Fakatsi was an organisation that was founded in 1958. It was first called the FCAA, the Federal Council for the Advancement of Aborigines, and then it changes its name in the early to mid-1960s to Fakatsi, the Federal Council for the Advancement of Aborigines and Torres Strait Islanders. They very much drive the campaign. They've been campaigning for a referendum for at least 10 years by the time it happens, and they and the churches and the trade unions very much run the campaign. Um, the Labor Party has some role, but it's not a very important role. The Liberal Party, who are in government with, with um, the country party at the time, they're the ones that introduce the legislation that makes the referendum possible. But they are very lukewarm about the proposal to change the constitution. And so they barely play any role um, at all. Um, and so what's striking now is is that uh, there's much less of... of that happening because the, the government, at the very least, is seen to be the one that's 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 dominating this campaign. Um, I think in 1967, history played relatively little part in the campaign. Yes, it was the case that Fakatsi and its supporters pointed out that Aboriginal people had suffered discrimination in the past, but their focus was very much on changing what was happening in the present in order to create a better future. So history was much less in play than it is now in 2023. And you also point to a much more sort of divided political discussion these days and the, the role of a more divided media. Do you think that that is a critical difference by comparison with 1967? I think it is a very important difference. I, I think whereas in 1967 there was no official, no case hardly any commentator in the media drew into question uh, the yes case in 1967. Now there's a you know, there's a plethora of, of voices. Um, I think it makes it very hard to run the kind of campaign in 1967, which, which was a deeply symbolic campaign. And the, the, the two parts of the constitution that were at stake were very mundane. I mean, changing sec uh, repealing section 127, which was the section in which it stated that Aboriginal people were not to be counted in the national census, and section 5126, which was about the power of the federal parliament to pass special laws in regard to Aboriginal people. But the way that was presented to the voters was as if it was a matter of citizenship rights, even though Aboriginal people already had those citizenship rights, and it was also presented as making a case for the Commonwealth Parliament to have the right 
to take charge of Aboriginal affairs. Mm. So it was a deeply symbolic campaign. And I think the fact that the media was very different and the media was on side meant that it was very difficult if there were any sceptical voices to, to, to truly make themselves heard, whereas now, of course, it's very easy. Anybody can can blog and this, that, and the next. Yes, thing. indeed. And 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 of course, it's then drawn into question. Yeah. Or what's been happening is, you know, what is the status of truth that we can't agree on the facts any longer, which makes it very difficult to to to, to proceed. So I think this is a this is a major factor. It's a really fascinating essay. It's called A Referendum in Trouble, Race, Rights and History Talk in 1967 and 2023. And I'm sure, Bain, you'd say that if you like the essay, that's just a gateway to the book, The 1967 Referendum, Race, Power and the Australian Constitution. Thanks so much for speaking with us on Sunday Extra. Thanks, Julian. And Bain Atwood is Professor of History at Monash University. And um, yes, his essay is on the Australian Book Review site. Coming up on Background Briefing after 8 o'clock, the little-known religious code ruling many major public hospitals and the women paying the price. But now it's time for Occam's Razor, our soapbox for science. What does it take to survive on the driest inhabited continent on Earth? Indigenous people have tens of thousands of years of knowledge about this, but their place in the conversations about water planning and management is often tokenistic at best or at worst completely absent. Today, Bradley Mogridge wants to talk about changing that. He's a Camilleroy man and a hydrologist, and he knows Indigenous knowledge needs to be central to Australia's water future. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.